to Surviving Academia, a podcast about the wild world of the academy. Each episode, we talk about trying to make it work and share self-care techniques to make every day a little bit more survivable. We're your didactic trio. I'm Rachel, and I'm posting it up in a postdoc world. I'm Kristen. I'm a graduate student. And I'm Zach, the dude of the show. <laughs> and until we have actual advertisements from sponsors, here's looking at you sponsors, we have a couple of... Uh, fake ones for you today. So today's show is brought to you by Paywalls. Want to learn more about inequality in higher education? Just pay $125 to access this popular relevant article on the topic. Only Paywalls will zealously protect your intellectual products while also making the owners of large corporations rich. Paywalls. You'll get this knowledge when you've earned it. Ouch. <laughs> I know. Burn paywalls. We're really <laughs> taking them down. <laughs> hey, everyone. Be sure to visit our website at survivingacademiapodcast.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at SurvivingPhD and Instagram at SurvivingAcademia. We're also on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, so please like and subscribe to hear more from us, the Didactic Trio. Mm -hmm. Yes, your listens mean so much to us. Oh my gosh, There are so people much. that none of us know listening, and it feels weird to <laughs> like have, be, you know, have my voice being heard by people I've never met it's or really that my friends exciting. have never met. So thank you guys so much for listening so far. Yes, thank you uh, for tuning in today as well. Uh, it is my show that I was in charge of, and I had this idea of doing a show about the troublesome student, um, which I think we quickly found out as we started brainstorming ideas that that means something different to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and we've all had a student, or for most of us probably multiple students, that have given us some sort of headache. You know, that either they drown us in lengthy emails or they talk over other people in the class and raise their hand for every single question. Um, those are the most common. And then we have more uh, uncommon problems that really can, can either you know, throw you for a loop and, and sort of throw you off your, off your guard about how, just how to respond, um, and also ones that can really uh, uh, be dangerous or threatening. And mm -hmm. so what I wanted to start out today with was uh, going around the table and asking folks to share a story of a student that's, that, that's, you know, stands out as really causing a problem in the classroom. Uh, Rachel, would you like to, to share a story with us? Well, my story is not necessarily someone who caused a problem, but someone who thought they were going to cause a problem. And the reason I want to bring this up is, listeners, you'll hear a little bit of an interview with uh, Dr. Jenny Hart a little bit later in the episode. But when Zach and I interviewed her, she really challenged, um, you know, the idea of what problematic or troublesome student means. So I'm going to put troublesome in quotes from now on, my little air quotes that you guys can't see. Um, and the students who... You know, we have anything from someone maybe who may be harmful or dangerous um, to someone who thinks that they're going to cause problems in the class. And so my quote unquote troublesome student was actually a student who came to my class. I was teaching an acting class several years ago. And after class one day, she asked to talk to me in my office. So we went to the office and um, she told me that she had just found out she was pregnant. And she assumed that she was going to be trouble. Right. She uh, automatically started to apologize um, and to say, if I need to drop the class, this is what I can do. But, you know, I need to keep these certain amount of credit hours in order to keep my financial aid. And and 
other professors she had gone to, uh, they kind of acted like it was going to be trouble. Wow. Right? Um, that was not the reaction from me because I really thought, okay, well, you know, you're a student, but you're an adult and you're a human being and you have your own life. And so we shouldn't be... We shouldn't be punishing you for having your own life. So how can we work together in order to complete the assignments when they need to be done? And, um, you know, when are you not going to be here? When are you going to be here? She wasn't going to be giving birth during the semester. So we didn't have to work with the university with any kind of maternity leave or anything from the course. But there was going to be things like doctor's appointments and potential morning sickness because it was a 9 a.m. class, right? Um and so we worked together to find a schedule that would work for her. Um, and she was able to successfully pass my class with a really high marks because, you know, she was dedicated to the class. But I wanted to bring up this story because she was troublesome to others in their opinion. So it brings up the idea of what is troublesome to you and versus other people, right? Because she did tell me stories about professors who did not give her the same kind of grace Right. Conversation. Right. And that goes to one end of the spectrum where like there is a very clear life circumstance that is going to make that they, you know, happen to them that is going to make it make it difficult. But we shouldn't treat it as problematic. We should treat it as, you know, it's definitely going to cause cause troubles and and, and problems, but it's not going to be problematic or troublesome. Exactly. Right. Um, That that student in the in in their own right is not a problematic person. Mm -hmm. My story was someone who sort of brought the problems on themselves mm. um, and therefore became troublesome. This was a, a eight week summer class that I was teaching online and it was a student who uh, walked in the spring, gra- like did the commencement ceremony and because they had graduated college, their family took them on a, uh, on a three week vacation. Oh my! Right oh, after, nice. you know, right after, oh, right nice. after, uh, my you know, vacation? right after commencement. Yeah, I know it was very, very lucky. Uh, but then, you know, because of that, didn't turn anything in for the first three weeks of class. Oh my! Participated very marginally, um, and just by the time they got back into the swing of things, um, you know, got back home, participated a little bit in the fourth week, missed a deadline. And then started emailing me about how can I make stuff up. And, and I just, you know, to, to me, I, I appreciate that the student was earnest and that's why they were missing class. But it's still my class and a vacation is not a legitimate response to not being able to participate in the class. So they sort of, I think, created their own circumstances for being being a troublesome student. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I definitely, I mean, I think I'm saving Kristen for last because... <laughs> She goes to the other end of that spectrum of students creating trouble mm-hmm. um, rather than being subject to, to mm-hmm. troubling uh, circumstances. So, Kristen, do you want to share your story? Sure. So it's a story that I haven't told a whole lot of people, and I'm, I'm comfortable talking about it now. It's been about, I don't know, maybe 10 years. I'm in my middle 30s. So this happened when I had, right as I had started teaching. So I was pretty new. I didn't really know what to expect. It was maybe like a couple, maybe a semester or two into my teaching. And I had a student who um, wasn't really disruptive, but kind of stopped the class a lot. So at first he would just raise his hand and say, hey, have you ever heard of? And then he would like insert topic. 
and it really wasn't relevant to what we were talking about. And a lot of times, you know, my, my uh, background is also in mental health. So what do they tell instructors to do when this starts to happen? You kind of like redirect, right? You try to like make some sort of connection or redirect the student. Well, after a while, the student got super angry about like being redirected. So I, when one particular circumstance, I was pulling up some of my PowerPoint slides and I was trying to pull up a website and he slammed his hands on the table in the middle of um, the course and yelled, um, you're not listening to me at about the top of his lungs, which of course freaks everybody out. And so I stopped and kind of calmly said, you know, crossed my hands and said, okay, continue. And it was something else that wasn't on topic. And then he started writing me letters that were handwritten and dropping them off in the office. Uh, and I was an adjunct at the time. And so I didn't really have like an actual like office, but I had a main office. And so he'd leave letters with the secretary then he started showing up at other classes that I was teaching and would stand right outside the door and kind of look at me while I was teaching those classes. And a couple of times I stopped there and had gone out and asked him if he needed anything. And he had said no, but that he wasn't going to leave. And then it kind of escalated from there. It was a night course. So I was teaching from about seven to about nine fifty or so every night. And it got to the point where some, other students in the class were waiting intentionally like after court after the course because he would always kind of find some excuse to like need to talk or want to talk about something more and I was new and I really want everybody to understand so of course I was you know interested in helping him out as much as I could and um and so after class one night a bunch of my students stayed after and he noticed that they were there and so he got mad at them and told them to leave and um after, after, you know, he finally ended up getting upset and leaving, some of my students came up and were like, we're afraid for you and we're afraid for us. And this was about maybe halfway through the course. And I'm not really sure who did it, if it was one of my students or if it was the department itself, because I had talked to the department chair and the secretary was um, well aware of him, that I started getting a police escort after after the course every single night. So I had a cop that would wait outside of my classroom and he would walk me to the parking lot. And the parking lot was like right outside the classroom, but the student and faculty parking lot was really together. So he would just kind of wait after class. And I think about it now, I have much different feelings now than when it happened. At the time, I was much more concerned about being an adjunct and being young and it being my first class and not really wanting to... Um, be a problem myself for the department and then not really knowing what was um, threatening enough. And I think that's the thing that had taken me back the most because uh, after a few nights or weeks or so of this cop escorting me to my car, he came up. He, I mean, it's something that he obviously noticed and, and he never really questioned him like what it was about. I think he just assumed it was about him, which is telling right there. But he said, um, what's this cop thing about? We both know I haven't made a threat to you. So why do you have this cop all the time? Oh, my. And, you know, and when I talked to the department and I had, you know, I talked to that cop every single night, you know, the cop, I told the cop that he had said that. And the cop said, well, yeah, he's right. And I just remember feeling just so helpless, like he's, he's, I mean, he's right. He never really threatened me, but. It just made me feel like more paranoid, right? Like hearing it out loud. And I'm sure when I listen to this episode, it'll sound even nuttier to me. But back then it was like embarrassing. And 
I wanted to prove to everyone I could do a good job and I didn't want to have a cop or some sort of like supervisor outside my door, like monitoring the student in this situation. And it just really felt um, kind of isolating. And I will say that it, it is not something that happened at Mizzou. Um, it is something that um, happened a while ago and the department did all that they could for me. In fact, he ended up failing the course. He tried to re-enroll the next semester and our department chair took him out of my course. But it was, it was just sort of, I guess, the other end of the spectrum from, like, what you guys are talking about. So it's almost like none of my crazier student stories, like... Uh, yeah, that really puts it in perspective, I think, mm-hmm. for, for the rest of us who have, you know, encountered problems with mm-hmm. students. But I think really what it does is shows how vast the definition of a troublesome student could be, you know, um, whether or not they are troublesome to the instructor or to their fellow students or whether they... Um, are troublesome because of you know things like privilege and stuff that we have to recognize or whether they're troublesome because they think they're going to be a problem it's a huge it's wide there's no one right answer when we're coming to dealing with these issues right and like you said so much of it depends on the instructor i'm sure that i would probably not have felt threatened um as uh you know a, a broad shouldered um beer bellied strapping uh, young man strapping <laughs> 30 white something dude. white dude yeah <laughs> um but yeah i mean he that student might not have even taken that approach mm-hmm. uh, yeah and to... i'm under no delusion that if i was you know like a person of color or um you know maybe gender non-conforming that maybe it would have been different for me it would have maybe been a whole different other situation but um i think as women in general and i'm sure we'll talk about this on a later episode like there's always this i I didn't want to be a problem for the department. I didn't really know what to do. Um, and that always adds like another level. It's like, who do, who do you t- turn to for support? I will say one um, bit of advice that came out of that situation that I highly recommend for you guys, that I highly recommend for people who listen to the podcast, is that situation has taught me to program the non-emergency police number into my phone for all the places that I've worked. And also the regular like, police, you know, like a 911 or whatever, who do you call exactly? So I definitely have the non-emergency numbers in my phone and the campus police have all everywhere I've ever worked have always been super helpful. That's obviously never come up again, but, um, you know, this is the kind of stuff they don't really mind doing. They really don't mind taking time out of their day to make sure somebody's getting to their car safe, yeah. safely. I'm sure it makes them feel like a hero. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. This this definitely plays into, uh, I think, supporting one of my life mottos, which is believe women. Mm-hmm. Because this is an experience that has never even remotely happened to me. But, you know, when I hear of women speaking about how it might be different to be up in front of a classroom for them, it's stories like this that, that make me want to you know, make me want to believe them before I doubt them. Very, you know, mm-hmm. always lean towards the believe until until proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I try to make sure I, um, especially if I'm teaching at night, I try to make sure I at least, and it's something that is probably would be a good practice for all of us, but we're always teaching in different rooms and in different buildings. But I try to, like, get to know the person who's directly next door. So I try to, on the first day, to kind of walk over there and introduce myself. Because, you know, professors are usually a couple minutes early on the first day. Just to kind of give them a heads up and know their name if something were to happen. It's just like that sort of hmm. um, contact is good. So that's always something that I've always have always tried to do. Um, and at the time, this happened at a community college, which was even more like intimate, right? So that helped, and I felt a little bit more supported. 
Good. Well, so we actually touch on this a lot in our interview with Jenny Hard. So why don't we go to that right now? Uh, so right now we're here with uh, Dr. Jenny Hart, who's going to talk to us about troublesome students. Uh, Dr. Hart, could you tell us a little bit about what you do at the University of Missouri? Yep. Um, I'm the Associate Vice Chancellor for Graduate Studies. Uh, I've been at the university for, well, I just finished my 15th year. Um, I'm also a professor of higher education in the Department of Educational Leadership and Policy Analysis. Um, and my research, when I have time to do it, now that I'm an administrator, I don't have so much, um, is actually focused on faculty, faculty issues, and also gender in the academy. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, we're definitely concerned about faculty uh, in this episode, but also more like the way that faculty relate to students and how they manage when they have sort of students that will give them a headache. And mm-hmm. I think that's something we've, we've all encountered at probably more than once uh, probably even once a year or a semester is that student that just, you know, every time you open your inbox, there's an email from them and, and you just dread opening that. Um, and those troubles so. manifest in different ways. They can happen in the classrooms. They can happen between students. They can happen between yeah. instructor and student. And it's something that across the board, if you're working with students, you're going to encounter. Right. But no one's yeah. ever really taught how to deal with them. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So I guess to start out, can you talk a little bit about uh, since you work so closely with graduate students and uh, and other faculty and your background mm-hmm. in higher education, you talk about some of the more common problems that you've seen with students causing headaches for, for instructors. Um, sure. So the idea of a troublesome student is going to be very um, personal, right? So right. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what may push my buttons may not push your buttons. Um, So, you know, of course, I don't think there's any universal definition, but certainly just in my experience in talking with folks, like I was a department chair too, so I've had faculty come to me and say, like, I've got this student and I'm not sure what to do with them. Um, You know, so it could be everything from, you know, I have this student in class who um, is on eBay the entire time and is distracting all the other students in the classroom Mm -hmm. um, to I have a student who's microaggressing in the class um, and put, making other students uncomfortable, um, or in the case of if a faculty member was telling me that story, making the faculty member uncomfortable, and I'm not sure what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that managing that situation becomes more complicated depending on the faculty member and where the faculty member sits. So is this faculty member pre-tenured? Is this faculty member an NTT? Is this faculty member an adjunct? Mm-hmm. Um, troublesome becomes different. Uh, for those individuals versus somebody who's a full professor, like who is who is more likely to come to you as either your pres- current position or department chair? Like who is more likely to come to you with student problems? Early career faculty. Okay. Um, and I think so. I think socialization is a big thing, mm-hmm. and I think as academics, the more time we spend in our profession, we become comfortable and in some cases complacent or we've just dealt with it for so long that we kind of have a routine to manage it um but very few of us have ever actually had any conversations with a colleague about teaching Mm -hmm. and about managing a classroom and about um you know and I think so early career faculty 
while I think there could be some risk involved in that from the standpoint, like, I don't want people to think I am inept and I can't do this. Mm -hmm. At the same time, part of their, you know, part of the experience is learning and figuring out how to do this. And so early career faculty would be more likely, um, even our adjuncts and 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 non-tender track faculty would kind of say, okay, look, I've got this situation in the classroom and I need your advice on how to handle it. That's, yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned the, the, the part where like they didn't want to appear as inept. So actually I would have, I would yep. have, my starting out this conversation, I would have thought the opposite that it would have been late, late career fa- or like middle to yeah, late career yeah. fact- faculty that just want to shove off a problem. Right, mm-hmm. right. See, I know, I think a lot of the times that I've gone and spoken to someone else for him having a student who I had a difficult time with or was having a difficult time with other people. I, my only experience has been as a graduate instructor and as an adjunct, and I always go to someone so that there's some kind of reporting, right? Right. Because yeah. for me, it's I've, I've heard horror stories of people who have kind of yeah. had situations where then a student reported on them, and it went badly, yeah. right? So yeah. I, I'm like, I know for me, especially when I'm at, uh, working as when I was working as an adjunct, I would make sure my chair knew things right away. Yeah. It's like just letting you know this is what's going on. And so yeah. I don't know. I wonder if it's a little bit of that kind of making sure that there's a, a paper trail. Mm-hmm. Well, well. some of that's probably personality too. Yeah. So you know, maybe the faculty in my department felt comfortable to have those conversations with me. But if I was somebody else, they'd be like, look, I'm not going to go to that person because that person holds the key to my promotion and tenure or whether or not I get a contract next Mm -hmm. year or next semester. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so, I mean, it it could be a personality thing, too, that might attract those conversations. Right. It's a really good thing to point out there. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, you would hope to be, you would hope to, like, that all of the reporting procedures and and the line of line of reporting was open and transparent, right? right? But might not always be the case. No, it's mm-hmm. definitely I, not the case. I've been fortunate that I've been in two departments here: the sociology and the geography department. Both of the chairs were very, very approachable people. So, yeah. yeah. But I want to talk a little bit more about the students themselves yeah. too, yeah. Uh, because you you noted that there was you know probably not like a typical problem. Yeah. There's a whole yeah. whole gamut of problems that can that can present itself. But can you think of sort of some maybe some sort of like underlying uh social sources or psychological sources that that can give rise to that variety of problems i mean that's not an easy thing to to, to answer i think i think higher ed has become much more aware of the fact that we have students who are coming to our campus with um mental health issues We've always had that, but I think we're, it's, we're aware of that now. And mm-hmm. so I think and sometimes I fear that that gets, we blame that. Like, oh, it's that person, you know, it has ADHD or that person is depressed or that mm-hmm. person is, you know, and we use that as, as kind of the source. But certainly those things can manifest themselves in what some faculty might see as a problem student, right? So, um, so I think... So, we definitely see that. Like I, you know, I, I, a tr- I don't think it's a troublesome student if a student is in crisis, but it feels like trouble mm-hmm. to me. Like I don't know what I'm going to do when I have a student who, um, you know, is ideating suicide. Like that's real. Like I've had to deal with that situation, mm-hmm. and you know, and and that's really challenging. And how to do that and make sure. I mean, you can't you can't guarantee that the student is going to get the support that they need in order to be able to address that particular issue. Um, but you have an obligation to do that as a faculty member. Right. So do you, are you, 
maybe talking a little bit about the sort of increasing role that universities might take in, in people's personal lives, students' personal lives. Because I know there, for a long time yeah. there was this philosophy of in loco parentis right. where the, yeah. you know, essentially you were leaving home to still to go yeah. into a finishing yeah. stage of your life that was much right. like home and we right. abandoned that in the in the 60s, 70s. 70s. And are, are we returning to that or are we doing some new permutation <laughs> I don't think we're returning to in loco parentis. Okay. I sure hope we're not returning to in loco parentis. So, um, at the same time, I do think that in the United States, we have been faced with a lot more violence that it is... Again, violence has always been there, but I think we, you know, we see school shootings. I mean, you know, we saw Virginia Tech. That wasn't a thing that we talked about really before Virginia Tech happened. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly it happened at other places, but that was like kind of this this moment where we started to talk about students and mental health and violence differently. Um, and so I think some of that's kind of the larger context that now we're realizing this is coming to campuses mm-hmm. um, and we need to think about how we're handling that. And so, you know, we're trying to give folks the tools to deal with that, whether it's the individual faculty member or it's the students that are going to have the kind of support that they need. And we know that across the board, there is not enough counseling support on campuses for our students. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I don't think well, that's not a controversial statement no, there. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I you're you're really striking a chord with the sociologist in me, where we you know, to to say that like you know many of these behaviors that we would define as troublesome have always been there, right. and that we're really shifting the sort of boundaries of of what we consider to be a problem versus not a problem, right. and what we what we should be addressing yep. versus versus yep. leaving alone. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that I definitely that's very simpatico with uh, my <laughs> my uh, academic upbringing there. Mm-hmm. Um, so my one of my questions for you was so when dealing with a difficult student or a troublesome uh-huh. student, uh-huh. however we want to refer to it, again it's it's a nebulous definition because yeah. it really depends on the person mm-hmm. and and who's involved. It's hard to know really what to do when it's happening. Yeah. Oh um, yes, yes. So do you have any advice on how? faculty or instructors or adjuncts or whoever you are, how one should react in those situations? Because I know sometimes it's, it's hard to know. Yep. Um, so this is probably something that I've gotten better at over time. Mm-hmm. My, you know, my first reaction would be, oh my gosh, I have to solve this problem right now as it's happening. And in some cases you do, um, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the level of disruption. Um, but more often than not, you don't have to respond immediately. And you can take a step back and spend some time figuring out what that is. Like an example I would give was an email. So you get this email from a student that, you know, you find really dis- uncomfortable, disturbing, or they're complaining about something that really isn't something to complain about, or they didn't read the syllabus and they're like, I want to know, you know, what the next assignment is. And, you know, like those kinds of things. Um, you know, my initial reaction would be, send that email out now and respond to it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm probably not responding in the most productive way. Um, and so I think in some cases, take a pause. You know, you can hit pause for a second and kind of say, okay, let me think through how the best way to handle this is. And it could be if it's happening in the classroom, um, you know, I mean, one response could be, I'm going to ask you to leave the classroom. One response could be, you know, I'd love to have a conversation. Can you take 
you know, can we schedule time during my office hours to have a conversation and follow up then? Um, and that gives you the time to prepare for what you really want to try to, to get across or to change a behavior if a behavior needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. How many times have you asked someone to leave a class? I have never asked somebody to leave a classroom. Um, I don't know if I would say that's because I only instruct graduate students, but I would say that hap- that, <laughs> that matters a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm working with only graduate students in my department. We but, don't teach undergrads. But you, I mean, you have taught undergrads before, right? Back in the day. Back in the, okay. Like when I'm talking back in the day, it's when I was in student affairs. So I'm talking like 30 years ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yes, I have taught undergrads. And I mean, I was working student affairs, so I was working daily with undergrads. I mean, I was the chief judicial officer. So I was working daily with undergraduates who were making bad decisions often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I absolutely have had that experience. But now, you know, in the last 15 years when I've been teaching at Mizzou, I've been working solely with graduate students. And while I've had disruption in class, nothing has ever been to the point where I felt like I need to ask you to leave the class. Mm-hmm. So this, this brings up another, another question, I think, is um, how would this sort of problem, how would you categorize the, the problems that graduate students as students present mm-hmm. versus undergraduate students as students present some of this, I, I mean, I don't want to categorize them as problems because I don't think they're necessarily problems, but they're circumstances that we do have to to work through. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have graduate students who have families, and I have students who can't find childcare. I want to bring their child to class, mm-hmm. and um, I'm fine with that. But I know that there are instructors who are not fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the child is disruptive in class, then what do you do with that? And does that affect the student learning of everybody else in the classroom you know like you have to think through all of those sorts of things um you know so I think graduate students undergraduate students are also juggling multiple responsibilities but I think graduate students um are coming to us with more likely to come to us married with children than undergraduates mm-hmm. uh, at least in traditional age undergraduate students right, uh, right so I think that's a factor um I think they're also more likely to be working on elder care issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's there's those work-family sorts of things that I think can enter into the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, also has implications for maybe getting assignments done on time. I mean, it's my job now in grad studies to grant exceptions, and usually the, the primary exceptions I'm granting in addition to admission exceptions are time to degree. Mm. So I needed an extension, and I need an extension because... My dad had cancer, and I was supposed to be writing my dissertation, and I had to take care of my dad, or I was going home to Kansas City every weekend when um, I had to sit with my father when he was going through dialysis, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, like... God, that's oh. so heartbreaking to... I'm sure you get a, I get oh, a lot yeah. of those. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I have uh, gotten several stories like those, especially, you know... Uh, the young female student who's a single mother, also yep. working mm-hmm. two jobs yep. and trying to finish her degree. I'm yep. like... I will definitely give that person leeway. It's just yep. a matter of, like, how big is the ask right. and how right. late is the ask. Right, <laughs> right. You know, and international students who can't get visas. Um, yeah, I mean, like, there's all of these things that warrant legitimate exceptions. Um, but I think some people could view that as problematic or troublesome or, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
because I'm also being held accountable for whether or not students are making timely progress toward their degree, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, to me, it's not a problem, but I know it's a circumstance in somebody's life that's that's really important to them to kind of have, that they're going to have to work through and that I'm going to help to help them and support them through that process. Yeah. So you said that it's, the situation, depending on the situation, is what kind of when you would react. I'm curious, what if this the trub, quote unquote troublesome situation mm-hmm. um, is between students in within your classroom class. within the class? Mm-hmm. How do you intervene? When do you intervene? That and that's happened to me. I've had those situations and where students have been yep. disrupting each other's education, yep. and I'm not sure I always handled it right. I think I may have, may have not. But what is right? Right? right. Well, I'm not sure there's a right answer. And, you know, Rachel, you've had me in class, so my answer is going to be it depends, right? Yeah. Like that, that's my famous answer. I give out to everything. Um, <laughs> I see a lot of gray area. Um, yeah, so, it, I mean, it definitely depends on um, when to intervene. But if I have a student making a racial racist comment to another student, I better intervene at that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a problem. Um, I know people who wouldn't. I know too many who wouldn't as well. But that would be a circumstance. Is, is that a matter of like personal philosophy yeah. or just an inability to, you know, sort of have the language of how to react and how to know how to how to discipline that student? It's in the probably moment? both and. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, it, we have very difficult time talking about these kinds of issues. Um, right. And our sort of mindset about how to approach problems is based on our capacity to approach those right, problems. Right. And frankly, my capacity might be avoidance or, you know, I don't like conflict, so I'm going to step away um, and manage mm-hmm. that situation. But there absolutely are times where I feel like I have to, to step in and, and mitigate that circumstance in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be things that happen that I need to have a longer conversation about that especially if it's an ongoing problem like I can think of a colleague and I who've had this conversation she had a student in class who I don't think it was so bad that you would classify it as just love to hear himself talk but was definitely willing to answer every single question that was posed Mm -hmm. and um, could completely monopolize the class Mm. Um, you know and it might not be very effective to say in the moment, like, stop talking, or <laughs> yeah. I'm not giving you any more room, um, you know, but after the fact, you know, I might say, you know, can you stop by my office afterwards, and let's have a conversation about this, and let's think about other ways to engage in class that's going to allow the rest of the class to feel like uh-huh. they can engage as well. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I know instructors who have had, like, the conch and say, you know, like yeah. you can't speak unless you have it in your hand. I mean, like, you know, we come up with all these kind of management tools to do yeah. that. But, um, in, you know, so is a, in that case, it's an, it depends. Do I do that on the spot or do I do that? Mm-hmm. I think it's more effective to have a longer conversation and, and to be able to explain why. Now, of course, you know, there's pros and cons to that too. Like if you as another student in the class don't see me have that conversation with that student, then does it appear that I'm just like letting it go on? Yeah. Um, you know, am I not really addressing it? Yeah. And that continues to be a problem for the, the other students in the class then mm-hmm. potentially, right? Like, you know, somehow Bob's ch- behavior changed, la- you know, last week, mm-hmm. but I have no idea why that was. And I have no idea that mm-hmm. it actually was the instructor who intervened in that circumstance, mm-hmm. right? Like you just think, okay, well, but Bob's that appearance better. of yep. inactivity could yep. then be harmful to the other students in the yep. class who 
are wanting change. Right. And, and, but you also don't want to break the confidentiality of the right. student that you had the conversation right. with. Right. So. And, you know, and I know that there's, you know, people have these conversations about, well, okay, do I just gener- generalize, you know, and say, okay, we're not going to use the word chick anymore in class. Now, there's one student who has used it, and it's clear who I'm talking about. Is that a good way to approach it? Maybe. But, mm-hmm. you know, would it have been better for me to say, you know, Zach, can we have a conversation after class? Or, you know, right. I prefer you don't and use then, that. But what, then what happens if that the usage of that term becomes contagious? Do you that's sit right. down with every single student yep. that, that starts using yeah. it? Yep. <laughs> yep. So. Yeah. That's a lot of emotional labor that you're putting in then. And yeah. It is. It is. But I also think that speaks to how important it is to set ground rules collaboratively at the beginning of class. You know, it's hard to do in a 500-person lecture. Like, yeah, I, I yeah. get that. But, you know, mm-hmm. if you're in a 20-person class, like, let's talk about our mutual expectations of one another. And that then also gives you permission to figure out how to intervene in those scenarios. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, we have time for maybe one more question, yeah. I think. Well, my question, my last question is, so not all of these happen at the end of the semester, oh, right? No. They happen the first day, the second day, the uh-huh. 20th day, you know, right in the middle how we're human beings and we're not always good at dealing then with people who maybe had bad interactions with. Yeah. How do you go on with a student who you've maybe had a uh, uh, trouble with? Like that's, it can yeah. be awkward because yep. we're, we're humans. We're not just like robots who teach classes. Yeah. And so how do you continue to deal with a student who may be trouble or problematic or may uh, cause a disruption? Yep. Well, for me, that's that's on me as the instructor. Like, yeah. It's my job to figure out how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be uncomfortable for me, but that's why I'm there. I'm there to be the instructor, to, to be the educator, to be, mm-hmm. you know, co-collaborating in that educational environment. And if I can't figure out how to manage that and manage my own emotions around that, mm-hmm. then am I really doing my job? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, it's, it's on me. That's a great answer. Right. Do you have any other advice or yeah. last minute? I was going to say, this is your question. But yeah. Any last minute, not last minute, but you know. Any final thoughts final on, thoughts yeah. or on advice like general advice? Sorry. Yeah. Ask your question. No, it's fine. <laughs> Do you have any other final thoughts or advice? Because again, this is not an easy fix. It's no, not an easy topic. Not. So No, it's not. I mean, you know, this is going to sound so academic, but here we go. <laughs> uh, you know, I really appreciate a lot of Stephen Brookfield's work, and he writes about being a critically reflective teacher. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's what a lot of this is about. It's I need to be reflective on what I am doing inside and outside the classroom and how I'm engaging with others and, um, you know, really thinking about you know, continuous improvement from that standpoint too, right? Like I, I want to continue to be a better teacher and I know I'm going to come up against things that I haven't come up against in the past and no one is going to have all the right tools to do that at the beginning um, or really at the end of your career either. You know, you're still figuring some of that stuff out. But I think if you take time to be reflective about that and have a good support system, you know, I, for me, I think the biggest advice is let's talk about teaching because we don't do that. And the academic system is not created in such a way at most institutions to facilitate that. Mm. 
yeah, who tra- who teaches the teachers? Right. That's that's I I've always been shocked at how little teaching of the teachers there there is in yep. higher education. Well, and we're you know so I'll think about this institution in particular, right? So this is a large research university, and research is very important. <laughs> um, and sometimes it comes at the expense of teaching, unfortunately. Um, but when it comes to promotion or promotion and tenure, you know, you're putting together this dossier and you talk about peer review with regard to your research. There are other people commenting on your research. Mm -hmm. Your teaching is a very private endeavor. Like I don't have to share any of my teaching. I do on the promotion and tenure, I have to create a table, but I don't have to share my teaching evaluations with anybody. I don't have to, you know, my chair will probably have a conversation with me about that. But by and large, I'm doing this on my own. I don't invite other instructors into my class to observe me and give me feedback. Like, that's just not part of the culture. Mm -hmm. It should be. Mm -hmm. But we're not getting, but, and we have to invite people into peer review. But we don't do that same kind of thing with teaching. And I think that sets a standard that teaching is a very personal, private endeavor. And I think it, perpetuates um, our inability as instructors to sometimes resolve some of these things that happen in classrooms that are probably happening with a lot of people that we could get advice from. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for... Yeah, thanks uh, for making the time. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. It's my pleasure. It was fun. Wow, that interview was really great, you guys. I'm sorry I missed it. I feel... It's a good one. I feel yeah. pretty validated by hearing yeah, what she had to do. say. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear her talk about, you know, the idea that there is no right way or right time or right place to act on a situation. And it really does depend upon the situation because, as we saw from our stories, troublesome can mean so many different things, right? Right. And it's very relative to uh, who is interpreting the trouble. Exactly. And so, like, do you handle the situation in the moment? Do you handle it later in your office? Do you not handle it? You know, how does that happen? Um, I thought Jenny did a really wonderful job talking about that. And that was really, really exciting. I agree. And the thing that resonated most with me is sort of this, and and you hear hear it in the interview, is who trains the teachers? Who teaches the teachers? In higher education, yeah. Because, you know, how are we to be equipped with, with the skills to know how to respond and to know how to uh, to act, uh, to, to do that interpretation. <laughs> so our second advertisement is this show is brought to you by everyone's favorite free pizza. Yes! yes. There's pizza in the lounge. Come get it uh, because it's still slightly above room temperature. Ooh, get right in there. Um, free pizza proves that you're never too old or too dignified to accept someone else's cheap leftover food. Mm, it's so good when it's just pizza. slightly above room temperature so or when you've reheated it twice <laughs> oh guys i love cold pizza <laughs> oh my gosh so mm. speaking of, of pizza uh rachel and i went and played some video games for this week's self-care segment we did so why don't we take a listen to that oh gosh i can't wait hey folks so today I convinced Rachel to play some video games with me. Yay! Yay! <laughs> We're using one of my other uh, self-care projects, uh, which is 
a homemade um, mini computer called a Raspberry Pi, and we're running a build of a Raspberry Pi called a Recall Box, this which is, is full cool. of classic games, and you can kind of uh, recognize the uh, the sound of what we're going to play. We're going to play Mario! Mario, yay. So when was the last time you played video games, Rachel? Um, geez. Okay, so I think I played a little bit of the SNES Classic when Justin got that for... Yeah, I played a little bit of the SNES Classic when I got that for Justin for Christmas this past year. Um, but other than that, I mean, I play, like, games on my phone occasionally. Like, there's okay. this game called Balls, which is kind of fun, because you have to, like, use the balls to hit these... Don't smile like that. That's not dirty. A, that's an interesting... You have to use the balls to break these boxes that are, like, numbered. So and just you have like, to, like a, like a quick things. logic game or Yeah, something. it's okay. kind of like Snake-ish okay. kind of thing, where you're trying to achieve by hitting certain things and getting certain points. Keep your mind active when, yes. when it would otherwise be some downtime. Yes. I gotcha. But, yeah, I don't really play video games videos. Oh, my gosh. Okay. okay. Oh, okay. Um, now, which ones are the buttons for everything again? Uh, just hit start, this button. Okay. I'll just do it. And, um, and then just do A. Do I and, use the joystick? Yeah, to... use the joystick, and then A and B. A is jump, or no, A is run. You got it. You got it. Oh, mother. Oh, I got him. You got a Goomba. It's a, uh, a, by, uh, uh. Classic uh, tradition of grad students going back many, many decades is, How do I is jump and get stomping, that? stomping on Goombas. Yeah. How, can I jump twice yet? Like, can I? Do no, that? you can't. That's. Yeah, I don't think you can do that in this game. Jumping twice didn't wasn't an innovation for a, quite a while after that. Ah. Jump. Oh, I need that thing. Yeah, you get grab that. I got it. You can jump higher under the ledge. Oh, yeah. What are these little guys called? Goombas? Goombas. I forget what the turtle things are called. I'm gonna kill you, turtle thing. <laughs> oh, I can use those to get the Goombas, right? Okay. Sure. I don't know. Hit hit uh, B and you can shoot a fireball. The other, oh, A. There you oh, go. okay. Okay, now I'm just another dude explaining how to play video games. Okay, <laughs> I haven't Sorry. played Mario in so long, though. Okay. Ah, oh well. Screw it. Fireball! Oh no! I'm a baby Mario again! Ugh. This is the saddest day. Oh, I can jump really high as a baby Mario. Oh, wait, that's not the jump button. Which one's the jump button? There we go. Oh, mother ever. This is... <laughs> Yay! I got the box! <laughs> done. Oh, yay! I'm sure my time is fantastic. Well, you still get the same celebratory music. Yay! I did it! Alright. I got to the you castle! Did it. You, got, you got through, and now you don't ever have to do it again. <laughs> no, I don't. No. I mean, okay, this is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, well, we'll keep playing, and oh, then we'll... Oh, I died. Oh, jeez. Ah. Well, well, she's got three more lives, so we'll we'll pop back to uh, the rest of the podcast while 
while uh, Rachel enjoys her new addiction. Yay! Oh, I died again! <laughs> Yeah, so I'm not a big gamer, so... Is that what happened? I, I play them occasionally when my fiancé asks very nicely, but, I mean, I, 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 it was fun. I could do it for a little while, but honestly, the, the noises and stuff of video games a lot of times bug me. The music that just is the same over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> yes. Kristen but it was fun. Uh, it, it was fun. Okay. Kristen, are you a gamer? Uh, a little bit here and there, just like, um, I'm like a traditionalist. I like Mario and Donkey Kong. I don't get into these like new hip, cool games. Anymore. So you would have really enjoyed what we did. I know. Yeah, totally. We played some of the classics. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry I missed it. I had a random surprise visit from family. You know how that happens when you're mm-hmm. in acad- academics and you don't go home <laughs> for an extended period of time. You know, as as uh, <laughs> academics, we generally have access to technology, so I could see gaming being a a good investment, like video gaming being a good mm-hmm. investment for someone who is an academic, because the technology is all around you. But I can also see it being really addictive. It oh, would be totally. for me. Yeah, it's it. it there's a line in self care between you know doing it for relaxation and doing it for escape, because yeah. you know one hour can turn into eight hours. Oh, yeah. Without too much difficulty. I went to spend a whole day on Civ Five, and I honestly have no idea where the time went. I've not played it since <laughs> because I, the day has just gone. <laughs> it's gone. You can never get it back. Never get it back. Yeah. But, hey, guys, thanks for listening again this, um, this episode. We're new to this, and we would still love to hear from you. So... Be sure to reach out on social media. We will totally answer. Uh, you can post your questions. You can add comments. And if you have any ideas for future episodes, let us know. And until next time, keep on surviving. <laughs> <laughs>